Well, as you take a seat, uh, do grab your Bibles and turn with me to page 573 of the Church Bible or Isaiah chapter 9 in, uh, in your own Bibles. And I'll be reading verses uh, 1 to 7 of Isaiah chapter 9. Thus says the Lord, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boots of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, his, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Do you ever get scared of the dark? And I don't mean are you scared of what happens when the sun goes down or when the bedside light gets uh, switched off. I'm, I'm talking about the, uh, the, the broken and the, the cursed uh, state of our world. Uh, do you ever feel threatened uh, by it? Do you feel frustrated? Uh, our news feeds, uh, TV shows, uh, they're all full of stories of, of death, uh, decay, uh, deception, uh, decadence. And the problems are not simply kind of abstract problems out there. We get sick. We get sad. We suffer. And we sin. It can all, it can all be overwhelming. It can, it can lead us to despair. What hope is there for a, a brighter tomorrow in a world that's, that's so full of darkness? The opening words of Band-Aid's Christmas song, you know, they say, it's Christmas time, there's no need to be afraid. At Christmas time, we let in light and we banish shade. And it's a catchy tune, it's a noble cause, but if human history is anything to go by, we only ever seem to make this world a darker place. What hope do we have against this darkness? Well, Isaiah chapter 9, it began, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Isaiah, he insists that despite appearances, uh, uh, there is hope for those overwhelmed uh, by the darkness. Uh, God is going to bring about a great and lasting victory for his people. And he's going to do it through the birth of a great and lasting king. Our first point this morning, uh, paradise regained a great and lasting uh, victory. Looking at verses uh, 1 to 5. Now, in, in Isaiah's day, uh, God's people, they were living in complete uh, despair. 
uh, the mighty Assyrian Empire, the superpower of the day, that were poised to invade uh, and destroy uh, Israel's entire way of life. Now, in a desperate rage, God's people, uh, they abandoned their ancestral faith. Rather than begging for God's mercy, uh, they spurned his words uh, and they treated God with contempt. Now, Isaiah, he describes their misery at the end of chapter 8. They looked uh, to the earth for hope, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Everything, it was spiraling out of control, and they had nowhere to go, nothing to hope in, and no one uh, to turn to. Now, given their unbelief, what we read next in chapter, chapter 9, it, it causes us to, to, our jaws to drop. We, we don't find words of judgment, but words of grace, words of restoration. Uh, look, look, turn to me to verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Now, to me, that sounds a lot like Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. Um, can anyone, just want to try and fix this stand, can anyone tell me what the first words of Genesis chapter 1 uh, were, were? God's first words in the midst of the darkness. He said, he said, let there be light. He said, let there be light. That's right. Let there be light. There we go. I think we're fixed. And, and, and out of darkness, there was light. God brought light. Out of nothing, God brought something wonderful. Isaiah's point, using this language here, it's that in the midst of a hopeless situation, God was bringing hope. Now, now the deep, the deep darkness of verse two, it's literally a, a death darkness. Kind of less, less nighttime by a moonlit sea and more a nighttime in a graveyard kind of feel. This glorious light, it's appearing to those living in the shadow of death. Uh, those living in, uh, those part of a world full of sin and despair, a world that's broken and cursed. Uh, last week in Genesis 3, if you remember, we thought about how paradise was lost. Well, in Isaiah 9, we're getting hints of paradise remade, paradise regained. Uh, there's going to be a, a recreation, a new creation, the curse lifted. Sin, death, despair, no more. A fellowship between God and man uh, restored. It's, it's a brighter future uh, than this world, uh, anything this world could ever uh, afford us. The light's not a little twinkly uh, Christmas light. This is a blazing beacon, bonfire uh, of, of healing and hope. And in Isaiah 3, sorry, in verse 3, Isaiah, he goes into more detail about this, this hope. He says, you, God, have multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. Now, uh, what, what happens when you, when you multiply a number? What happens when you multiply a number? What happens? Go on. It gets bigger. Exactly, that's right. It gets bigger. Um, it gets bigger. Now, God's people, at this point, they were very afraid that all the, the, the Assyrian armies, that they were going to come in, they were going to invade, and, and their nation was going to decrease, get smaller. Um, but here, Isaiah's telling them that God, he's in fact going to increase the nation. No matter what happens, the nation will increase. Now, this, this is supposed to remind us of a promise God made way, way back uh, to multiply his people uh, so that they'd one day be too numerous uh, to count, as if they were like the stars in the night sky. Now, I did a bit of Googling. Apparently, if you try and count them, you'll probably count about 2,000 stars in the night sky. It doesn't seem like a big number, but, but, but it's estimated that beyond what our human eyes can see, that in our universe, there are 
over 1 billion trillion uh, stars on our universe. I didn't even bother to work out how many zeros that was. That's a huge number. Uh, but God's point is that, that he would secure a huge kingdom. He would keep that promise to multiply the nation. Uh, whatever number it is that, that God intended, uh, in the future, Isaiah saw that he'd secured it. You have multiplied the nation. You have done it. God's kept his promise. It's tempting in our, in our post-Christian secular culture to think that the kingdom, the church, is on the back foot. Our numbers, you might think, are in decline. Popular culture seems to be getting increasingly anti-Christian. And our peers, they seem more skeptical of our faith than ever. Well, as we read these verses, don't lose heart. On the final day, we'll be looking around and we'll see myriads upon myriads of people gathered from every tribe, every nation, and we'll be singing how God has multiplied the nation. Nothing can or ever will subtract from that number. Not only will paradise be regained, but it'll be filled with all of those God promised would be there. And I think in part that means we can be glad now because we know that we'll be glad then. That God will keep his promise. In verse 4, Isaiah, he provides assurance that these forces seeking to decrease the nation, that they're going to get dealt with. Verse 4 says, For the yoke of the nation's burden and the staff of their shoulder, the rod of their oppressor, you, God, has broken as in the day of Midian. These, these Assyrian forces, they'd be defeated just like how God defeated the Midians. Um, if, if you don't know the story, uh, don't, don't worry. Uh, basically, about th- uh, 130,000 Midian, Midianite warriors. And they once invaded the land of Israel. Uh, and then God raised up a man called Gideon and about 300 men, really a small force. Uh, th- their job was to surround uh, the enemy camp at night. Uh, and with a shout, they were to crack open a few jars and, and just shine a little bit of light in the midst of the dark. Uh, and God used this otherwise unimpressive uh, disturbance to work a miraculous defeat. This huge army, they suddenly all turned on one another in a panic, in confusion, and they fled. God used this this small and impressive force to defeat that entire army. And just as God had defeated the Midianites, he was going to miraculously defeat uh, the mighty uh, Assyrian Empire. You know, paradise may be threatened, uh, but it would certainly uh, be won. In verse 5, Every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for a fire. What happens, does anyone know, what happens when you put something in the fire? If you were to throw something in the fire, what would happen to that thing? Go on. It would burn, okay? And things that burn, they, 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 they get destroyed, don't they? They, they, they? The thing that went in the fire isn't necessarily always the thing that comes out of the fire. Fire is a destructive, destructive force. And, and with, with their garments rolled in blood and burned as fuel, the implication is clear. The enemies of God's people are not, no longer around to wear them. God's people could rejoice because their enemies would be totally destroyed. Now, our, our joy as Christians doesn't stem from, the, the victory, from a victory over, over foreign powers, but, but spiritual ones. Uh, the sinful forces of the world, uh, the flesh, uh, the devil. As I hear, he's speaking of an age when, when the powers of the world would be made impotent. Uh, we don't fear those who ha- have power over the body, we, but, but him who has power over the soul. 
Now, the world, they may raise eyebrows at us, at our faith. They may slander us, hurt us, beat us, arrest us. But they've no power to rob us or steal us from God or what he has promised us. And and this age that Isaiah saw, it would end with the enemies of God's people either in repentance or uh, facing eternal condemnation. Either way, God's people can rejoice because the victory belongs to God. Isaiah, he spoke of an age when uh, the power of our our sinful flesh would would be truly broken, uh, when when the burden of our guilt would be taken away, our sins truly forgiven, and when the penalty we deserve uh, would be fully paid by another, when we'd be free to to, to actually fight temptation, uh, to give glory to God. He spoke of an age that would end with the presence of sin uh, fully banished uh, from our hearts. Uh, We can be glad because here... uh, we're being told that one day we're going to be saved to sin no more. Isaiah, he spoke of an age when the power of Satan would be no more. Uh, When the great war that began all the way back in Eden would cease. When he'd be no longer be able to uh, accuse or condemn us. When we no longer believe his lies or serve his agenda. It'd be an age that would end with him cast into the lake of fire forever. Uh, we, we can sing uh, that no power of hell uh, can ever pluck us uh, from God's hand. That was the, the great and lasting victory uh, that God is promising here in these verses. Uh, now, let's, let's turn, let's look at the man who for Isaiah would make this dream a reality. Who for us has already begun to make this a reality. He's one who declared, I am the light of the world. So verses six to seven, a royal birth, uh, a great and lasting king. I wonder, can anyone, can anyone remember who the last royal child was to be born? Does anyone remember his name? Go on. King David. Uh, that, that was a king in the Bible. So, uh, so today, a, a royal family member in our country today, who was the last one? I'll give you a clue. It was Harry and Meghan's. doesn't have to be a kid, by the way. It can be anyone. George. Not George. He was born a couple of years ago. Go on. Archie, Archie, it's a great name, by the way. Um, we named Archie first. That needs to be stated. So yeah, so Archie, so um, Prince Archie, he, he's unlikely ever to be king, um, but everyone was really excited when he was born. At least everyone on the news was. Um, now, Archie's not going to be king, but, but, but this child, this, this royal child born, this son, the son of verse six, he'd be born to take the government upon his shoulder. He was born uh, to bear the, the royal burden of rule. Born to take responsibility for, for the great and lasting victory that we just spoke about. Uh, take a look with me uh, at, verse, at verse 7. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Now, it's all too easy to associate uh, governments with uh, broken promises, uh, U-turns, corruption, uh, self-interest, uh, and scandal. Uh, all human government throughout all of history has had a tendency to, to abuse the power that it holds. Uh, but this son, this son sh- shall never abuse his position. He'll never exploit those under his care. He shall establish, uphold God's kingdom in perfect righteousness and administer 
perfect justice. Well, who is this, this king born to rule forever? Well, ho- hopefully, hopefully we've guessed, but I, we know him as Jesus, Jesus Christ. But Isaiah here doesn't introduce him by the name of Jesus. He introduces him under a different name, a, a five-fold name. Uh, his name, verse 6, is Wonderful Counselor. Although I think more accurately, it's probably both uh, Wonderful and Counselor, two different names. Christ's name is Wonderful. Uh, literally, his name is Miraculous. You could call him Mr. Extraordinary. Uh, this, now, this word, it's only really ever used of God in the Old Testament, so far as I can see. The implication being that he's not simply uh, a man of God, uh, not simply a man like God, but, but a man who, who was God. A man worthy of our admiration and worship. These verses say, come, let us worship him. Christ's name is also counselor. It's not that he, he, you know, he sits on the council and, and plans roadworks all day. Rather, rather, he's intimately aware, fully involved, of, uh, fully involved in uh, the thoughts and the eternal counsel of God. All, all that God knows, he knows. God's wisdom is his wisdom. Indeed, he, he owns it. He gladly shares that wisdom with mankind. You, you, could, you could call him a reverend wisdom, if you like. We'd be wise to listen to him, to learn from him. These verses say, come, let us hear him. His name is Mighty God. Now, this, this is the image of, of a conquering hero, uh, the, the strongest avenger, the greatest of warriors, uh, you know, a one-man army. One who has the might of God within him. For he, for he is God. Mighty God. And therefore he is able to, to save to the uttermost and bind up his enemies. Be they, be they of the world, be they of the devil. He is, he is Sir Strength. A fitting defender and protector of the church. Uh, we, we'd be safe to take refuge under, under his arms. These verses, they tell us, they say to us, come, let us, let us run uh, for refuge uh, to him. His name is also Everlasting Father. Now, it's not Isaiah's, Isaiah hasn't confused God the Father with God the Son. R- rather, rather, the idea is that he, he, he loves us like a father should love us. His care for his kingdom uh, is, is, the, is like the care of a father for a, lo- a young child. You remember that, that, that Christian hymn, Father-like, he tends and spares us. Well, our weeble fr- feeble frame he knows. In his hands he gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes. You could call him Lord Love. One who'll carry us forever. One who's most worthy of our adoration and our loyalty. These verses invite us to come and adore him. Finally, his name is Prince, Prince of Peace. Now, he's not some, some second-tier royal who's, who's sent off to gyms or to turn on the Christmas lights. Um, the, the word here for prince is, is much weightier than that. He, he's, he's the chieftain, the, the overlord of peace. And peace is his to command. It's his, it's his to bestow. Significantly, this peace, this word for peace, it's, that's God's special Old Testament word, shalom. It's an end, an end to hostility between, between God and man, but 
but also so much more. Full reconciliation, full enjoyment of, of who God is and all that God can give. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. You could call him King Life, uh, Emperor Mercy, uh, Pre- President Victory, whatever you like. The point is he's both willing and able to embrace all who seek his favor. So come and let us seek him. Isaiah's point is that this king is great. That this king will last. That the Lord Jesus is both able and willing to secure a great and lasting victory for his people. Now Isaiah here, he's beginning to touch on what we call the the incarnation. God the Son the eternal, the second person of the Trinity, coming to earth and taking on a human nature. Now, he didn't, he didn't abandon or, or lessen uh, his divine nature, his godness. And neither did he, did he mix it up or kind of blend it with a human nature, but, but rather he retained all that made him God. And on that first Christmas, added to himself that which made him truly human. He's one person with two distinct natures, human, God. Now, only, only a man who's also God is able to free us from the clutches of darkness. Only a man who is truly God can establish this kingdom and, and provide the joy of his subjects. You know, the, the darkness that mankind, the darkness that we're under is such that we are, we are born God's enemies. We live our lives in rebellion against him and against his rule but born hostile to him, hostile to other people. Uh, we find ourselves in a state of deserving to be punished, punished forever. And to, to be set free, to escape this, to be rescued, we need to be forgiven our sin, and we need that sin to be paid for. But only God can forgive sin, and only man can pay for sin. And that's why this birth, when God the Son became the man Jesus. That's why this is such good news. Only by becoming a man could could he die and so take the punishment we deserve. And only as God would Jesus have the right uh, to forgive our sin. Only Jesus has the authority to reinstate, regain, relaunch the paradise that was lost. And Isaiah is telling us this miraculous birth, it was a signal, it was a beacon of light testifying uh, all, all, all of this darkness would soon come to pass. Sorry, all, all of, this, all of this, this, this great victory would soon come to pass. For his birth would ultimately lead to his death, his death on the cross. And it was there that sin's penalty would be paid for. It was there Satan's power would be broken. It was there that forgiveness would be won. After he died, he rose again. His resurrection declared for all that Jesus was the, he, that he is the great, the lasting king, the one who would live forever. He did not stay dead, but rose again. He is the one who has defeated the world, the flesh, and the devil. Who, who lives, even today, reigning over the world and over his church as wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Since, since then, and right up to, the, to our present day, Christ, he's been sitting 
on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. The birth of our great and lasting king, I think, can, can leave us with, with, two, with two implications for, for the darkness. Firstly, we can know that, that one day it will be completely extinguished and overcome. We, we can have that hope, that confidence. When Jesus returns at the end of the age uh, to judge the living and the dead, the paradise that was lost, that he regained, shall be fully restored and implemented. Sickness and suffering shall be no more. All who trusted in him shall, shall find they shall sin no more and they'll enjoy eternal life. Those who continue to reject him uh, shall suffer the punishment they deserve. And Satan shall be silenced forever, thrown into the lake of fire. And secondly, although the, the darkness is still obviously present in this world, we, we can know that despite appearances, we know it's, it's going to end and that it's, it's in retreat. And these verses tell us that the increase of Jesus' kingdom shall have no end in this age. His kingdom shall advance. Men and women from all over the world will be and are being converted to the kingdom, saved and brought to Christ. We're told that the difficulties, the hardships we face, uh, that we suffer, we're promised that these are only going to make our, our faith stronger. Our desire to sin, we're told, will, will lessen, and our desire to Christ shall grow. And the lies, the lures of Satan will become increasingly uh, less, uh, less tempting. So, so what can we say when we, when we look at the world around us, when we feel no hope, when we feel the darkness is overwhelming us? Isaiah 9, I think, can help us say that in, in King Jesus, we have hope for a brighter future. In King Jesus, we, ha we can find comfort for our wounded consciences. In King Jesus, we can find strength for our weak will. We can find resolve for a fearful heart. In King Jesus, we can find all we can ever need to sustain us, to keep us going until that final day. In King Jesus, we can find reason upon reason upon reason to rejoice, even in the darkest of darknesses. That's why, why at Christmas time our song isn't do they know it's Christmas, but joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Before we turn to, to sing that song, let, let, me, let me lead us in a prayer. Father God, we, we thank and praise you for shining a blazing light into the darkness of our world. We're glad to be reminded that the way things are 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 not the way they'll always be. Thank you for, for giving us your son to take the government of your kingdom upon his shoulders. Lord Jesus, you're wonderful. We praise you who, although God took on human flesh for us and for our salvation, help us to worship you rightly. You are our counselor, most wise and just in all our ways. Teach us to know you better, to know right from wrong, to know how to live in this dark world to walk in your footsteps. You are our, our mighty God. Give us the strength we know we lack. Help us, help us to endure 
whatever trials we must face as we live here, as we live now. Help us to cling to your promises in sickness and in health, in poverty and in riches. Help us, help us to resist temptation and trust in your word. You are our everlasting Father. Who can ever know that the depth of the love you have for us? Uh, forgive us, forgive us our sins. Rescue us from our foes. Don't abandon us to the darkness, but, but lead us, lead us home to heaven. Help us to hold fast to your words. Help us hold fast to you as you hold fast to us. You are our Prince of Peace. You have reconciled us to God that we might know you, glorify you and enjoy you forever. Help us to know more of you and of your peace. Grant us to know your peace when, when we feel fear, when we know pain, when the brokenness of, of this world overwhelms us. Help us to know that a great and lasting victory has been won. Father God, thank you for giving us a great and lasting King. Amen.